our major goal is to focus on our customers. I guess this kind of sentence you will find in any presentation of digital product vendors, maybe even beyond. So people always claim that they take the customers first, that they do everything for their customers. I mean, to some degree, of course they do. I mean, in the end, they, they generate the revenue from it. And so they might listen to what customers says. But I would say customer focus comes in different levels. And talking to Maciej from Pivik showed a lot how, how Pivik is really building around their customer feedback, their customer use cases, if it solves the problem or not. And this is quite interesting. You will see this in the conversation. This is like a, a common topic that we will touch on different kind of areas. And so it started out where, where like Pivik itself started out. So they um, they built basically they like Maciej started out to to work on Pivik in the open source project because he needed a use case for his own product. And so it was built for their own internal usage. And this basically goes on. So they when they have customers who who need a solution that um, that was not sending data to other servers so what uh, that gave them control over the data because these kind of um, website were uh, maybe for um, like government websites or um, at least like websites or, or points where data is collected which is kind, kind of sensitive or more sensitive than a normal marketing landing page. And so this is also like the reason why Pivik had this focus on on privacy first early on even before we were talking about gdpr and all the other different kind of things and it's still there and i found it quite remarkable also like and you will see this in the end when we were t talking a little bit about their customer data platform feature where where he just described like okay we we had a first version that made sense for us and then we 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 published it We put it out, we, we analyzed it, how people could work with it, and we recognized that things are not really perfect. And so they went back um, to, I guess, the big whiteboard, and they basically um, redesigned a lot of things. And so they basically um, made a quite radical move. And often, like in other companies, they would just have tried to sell it still. Like they know, okay, yeah, it's not a perfect feature, but still it does a little bit like, and like these kind of companies are trying to push it, push it out. And um, it's, it's kind of rare that companies then take the decision to say, actually, we're not really doing our best job possible. And we have gathered a lot of new learnings. And so now we go back and, and push it out again. And so you will see this in other areas as well. So um, I think this was definitely one of my major takeaways uh, from Pivik is like how they envision their customers and how they need to use analytics products um, in a quite unsure future where everyone doesn't really know where, where analytics will go. And so um, I hope you enjoy this kind of conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. I had really some, some interesting takeaways. So for example... Um, use Pivik for internal applications, which I sometimes build and uh, where, which I never track because like, of course, who wants to send internal data uh, to some kind of service that I don't control? And so, um, yeah, this might be a use case that I might try out in the future. And so I, I hope uh, you enjoy this talk. And so the time when analytics was simply Google Analytics is over now. Today you can build your analytics stack out of over 50 different tools and new ones are coming in every month. Each of them has its benefits but also limitations. Finding the right analytics stack has become quite a complex task that includes decisions about architecture, use cases, data ownership, performance and lastly legal aspects. This podcast tries to give you more context about the different options you have. By talking to leading people from different analytics companies, I'm trying to give you insights about the tools, the strategies, and the learnings that can help you set up a good analytics stack.
Hello and welcome to a new episode of Meet the Analytics Stack. And today we have, uh, let's say, a very important member of the Analytics Stack here uh, because um, they are creating a, a say, let's say, an analytics product that is catching more and more attention uh, due to several reasons, which we will talk. Hi, Maciej. How are you today? Uh, very good. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad that we are finally doing the this session today. That's true. Yeah, we we postponed it already a little bit, like uh, due to the usual things that can happen. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy as well. So I'm I was really looking forward uh, to talk to you because I have a bunch of questions. I have a bunch of things that I would like to learn more because, like, um, you are basically. Um, developing and and offering like uh, analytics software pivic pro and uh, so i usually start this uh this these episodes with a question because like most of the audience that i know they have some backgrounds in analytics and data and often their background is like they know google analytics so google analytics is basically the baseline for everything like when you're coming from this analytics part and so, and I think for you, it's a quite nice question because I think it's quite easy for you to make the difference. It's like, but my initial question is always like, what's the difference uh, from, from Pivic Pro to, to Google Analytics? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's uh, funny enough that we, we position ourselves as a, a Google Analytics alternative with yeah. focus on privacy and security. And I, I will, of course, go a bit deeper. Uh, but what's important is we don't try to differentiate, we rather try to be as uh, close and as similar as possible to, to, to GA, uh, especially we are talking here about the universal analytics, yeah. not, not GA4. Um, and the reason for that is that because this product is so popular, because all the marketers, product managers, other web analysts and digital analytics professionals know it, it's easy for them to transition and to, to start using Fuig Pro without extra like time dedicated uh, to, to learn the platform. Um, but what's different maybe because that's, I yeah. think, what, what you asked about. No, I think the other point is also interesting. I mean, it's, yeah. I think it's, it's super interesting for a lot of people to really know. Um, actually, when I already learned like GA Universal, the transition to something like Pivik super smooth which i can definitely uh, which i can definitely confirm it, it it's like this so w when you know the in and outs of one tool and i think this is something that people often underestimate um how difficult it is for people when they are comfortable in some kind of um area and they can do the job that they want to do and then someone tells them yeah actually we take this now away and you have to learn something new I mean, new is always cool, but for most of the people, it's not so cool because their job is not learning tools. Their job is like running campaigns. So this is like this is why I think it's 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 a strong statement to to go exactly, like this. exactly, and and a lot of things. I, I will just give a couple examples yeah. as I know your audience is is quite into the analytics topic. So things like uh, the whole measurement methodology, how you deal with custom dimensions, uh, custom events is literally almost uh, the same. Of course, there are some differences in the UI. We think like we even receive sometimes feedback that our UI is actually more user-friendly in, in some ways uh, yeah. than, than GAs. But what's important is that you don't have to like think, okay, how do I do this uh, now in Pewik Pro uh, that uh, I know how to do in, in Universal Analytics. Um, but going into the, the differences, yes. so we started as a company long before GDPR came into force. And our focus were data sensitive industries. So our uh, customers, like one of a uh, very long-standing customer, we have case study and great reference is uh, government of Netherlands, for example, yeah. uses our software. And we have a lot of governments, uh, data-sensitive uh, industries customers, like from, from financial sector, mm -hmm. healthcare sector, etc. And back in the days, we focused on like data privacy, storing the data on customers' infrastructure. Now it changes a bit more towards the cloud, even though we, we offer still like private cloud option or, or even on-premises, but uh, primarily we, we sell now cloud and private cloud uh, variants. Uh, but this um, background in data-sensitive industries prepared us for what's happening now with privacy laws and what started happening with GDPR entering the force, but also all other additional guidelines. Uh, for example, we are on this list on CNIL 
uh, yeah. in France that you don't have to use consent for Pewik Pro if you meet certain configuration criteria. Uh, we do it now with one button, so, by the way, which is which is cool. But also the same thing is in Germany with TTDSG or PAC in the, the, the UK. So we can easily comply with different regulations uh, and get high quality data with Pewik Pro and store data, for example, in Europe or in your private cloud. And that's, that's the differentiator. And what's important is this is you, you meet these regulations and like restrictions that you may have from your internal even security department or privacy department while uh, having the tool that you know how to use, that you know how it will behave in certain situations because it's very similar to, to, to Google Analytics. Yeah, I think this is really, really interesting. Also like that, that you already started out long ago. We, we had this public discussion. I mean, some discussions were sometimes before, but um, I mean, you, you were already there and it's not like that. Um, I mean, of course, like everything that is happening now in the public sector definitely, or like on the, on the legal sector is definitely helping. But the interesting thing is like you already built this product with this kind of perspective in mm -hmm. the first place to really have an alternative that gives you more control um, about the kind of data that you're doing. Yeah. Also, that's uh, even like if you look at from the business perspective, when you start, it's best to specialize in some small niche. Yeah. And uh, now this niche become very wide for us. And as you said, like we, we, we are getting very popular also with our free product, etc. But uh, that all that came from this focus on privacy and security in the first place. Yeah. And so you, you already said, so it's, it's, it's pretty good comparable to Google Analytics Universal. And so now comes this new Google Analytics 4. And so... Um, How, how does it work out for you? Is it something where, where you're just looking at it or is it something that, I don't know, over time you will see how it will adapt and so that it might become something where, where, where you're oriented around or is it like you're quite comfortable in this kind of thing? Because like in the end, I think where most of the people struggle who come from Google Universal, um, they, they struggle that they say, I'm not sure if I'm really the, the right audience to, to, to migrate to this, to this other um, to this other tool or let's say yeah, it's it's a different tool in the end like like the four version because it, it seems to be like targeting a different audience in some way so um yeah we, we, we see it very similar way we, we treat it as a big opportunity and i, I will talk yeah. about what we plan with that as well in a in a moment but um i agree that uh typically performance marketers uh web analysts that are more to the marketing departments um and i think this is like you know more than half of the ga users yeah. um these are not so comfortable with ga4 and we already see even for example in the us where there aren't that strict privacy laws and there may come that's maybe topic for our discussion They come solely for us because they want something uh, that is similar to universal analytics, mm -hmm. and they are they want to do the switch as soon as possible because the universal analytics is going away in July next year. So yeah. uh, we treat it as a big opportunity. We already pushed out the guide how to migrate, like how it maps certain things uh, into the Pewik Pro. But what we are, uh, what we started actually is an early adopters program for the automated migration of the configuration of your GTM and mm -hmm. uh, Google Analytics uh, uh, to Pewik Pro uh, so that we can map this automatically and even make the transition even, even easier because uh, some clients have like hundreds of tags yes. and different configurations. The good news is we can easily map them, but we don't want this to be manual process. And that's yeah. why we, uh, we developed this migrator tool that is part of the product and it's uh, being released now to them some first early adopters. And by the end of the year, we plan to, to release it uh, fully to everyone. That's really interesting. So I basically can take my, my setup, for example, when I'm using GA together with Google Tag Manager, um, I can basically then take this and transfer it uh, to Pivik, let's say, with a click or maybe some, some, uh, yeah, some configuration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, maybe more than one click, but it's yeah. uh, pretty much a couple clicks uh, and a couple small decisions that you have to take through the wizard and uh, the, the configuration will be, um, will be migrated. What's important, because that comes up very often, like will you migrate historical data 
No, because there is no raw data access in your universal yes. analytics, at least not in the free version. Yeah. So, um, and even this, this is a, a big hurdle from the compliance perspective uh, in Europe, yeah. because like if the data wasn't collected in a compliant way, should you migrating it at all? Um, so yeah. we are not taking part of the taking care of that part, but we think the most important is to decrease the time required to migrate all the configuration, all your tracking plan into, into Pivot Pro. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think in the end, I mean, the, the funny thing about historic data is like, first of all, I think it's totally overrated uh, to some degree because like, especially in digital business, there are so many things happening within 12 months. So, I mean, in the, in the current situation, even like outside of digital world, so many things happening within uh, 12 months. So you, you have so many, let's say, effects that have an effect on your data um, so that year-over-year comparison, yeah, sometimes makes sense, but not really so much. I think yeah. this is like, it's, I often try to calm down people, which they are like, yeah, but my dashboards will break because we cannot compare six years. And so like, Yeah, but honestly, like, I mean, how do you use this for optimization? So it's, it's, it's hard to optimize on these kind of things. So it's like, but it's, it, it's super interesting because like one interesting thing is like, maybe this is something that maybe some people don't know is like, I mean, GA is just, it's just an analytics tool. So you put some data in, uh, you can do some analysis, you can export the data to, to different kinds of systems. But what PIVIC does is like, it's, it's much broader. I mean, in the end, as you said, so like you, you can also migrate um, a Google Tag Manager configuration into your Tag Manager because you have a Tag Manager that is quite closely um, connected to PIVIC, of course, um, but works as a normal uh, Tag Manager. And one thing which I really like is like it has also like a Consent Manager built in, which I mean, I'm doing quite some projects where I hook up uh, Consent Managers with Tag Manager. And um, it's definitely a setup that can how to say, that can easily go wrong in different kind of directions. So go wrong for the company to track the wrong data because it's like triggered in the wrong way. So um, what, was, what was the idea that you said at some point, like, okay, let's also add something like a tag manager and then also like combine uh, the consent in this. So to, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. make a seamless experience in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, there are two, two interesting threads here. So yeah. one is the, the tag manager itself. And uh, the, the, the base for this idea was like, we can get people out of GA, but we have to get them out of GTM if they, we want to make them fully compliant. And this was yes. like, not even that GTM collects data or there's IP addresses in the HTTP request to fetch the, the tag, mm -hmm. because not everyone is concerned about that. But um, in many organizations, uh, the this, uh, security sensitive ones, uh, it's about the using external tool that you have to have Google accounts to sign in and that was no go uh, for a yeah. bank to, to, to use such tag managers. So we had to provide an alternative. We, we, I think we did it as good, uh, almost as good as with analytics. So you can like, You have all types of triggers that you have in GTM, variables, yeah. and so on. Um, of course, there are some small differences, but uh, what we uh, follow when we design this product, and that's how we are getting to the consent manager, is to, to have this privacy by design and privacy by default um, uh, principles implemented. Yeah. So we try to make this configuration Uh, by default, so that uh, it's your it's compliant. So you will already have that configured. You will not fire tags before they are that there is a consent for. For example, if you add a tag of Google Ads, it will not fire automatically unless the consent is collected. So all the defaults are set in a way that um, if you don't think about it, you forget about something. It will work uh, properly. I mean in a compliant uh, manner, especially with GDPR in Europe, uh, but you have full flexibility to adjust it. And yeah. we see a lot of implementations where, for example, our consent manager is implemented with our tag manager and analytics, and there is no issue with that. And we, we also even plan to facilitate it even further to make it less easier to configure. Uh, so there are some automated uh, integrations with our consent managers, but uh, the The core idea was to make it uh, fully 
replace the Google stack and uh, make it privacy by design, privacy by default uh, with the configurations that we have in there. Yeah, and I think the, the interesting thing about what I really like um, about integrating Pivik is like that um, when, I, when I put Pivik on a website, I have different options how I can basically configure Pivik, um, how it handles, um, let's say, user identification. So I can use it in the full, let's say, if for example, if I have consent, I, I can use it in the, let's say, I have to have a term for it, let's say full identification mode. So I can basically say, okay, I want to set a cookie because I want to, um, want to uh, recognize this user again. Maybe I want to use some user IDs, but I can also, if I don't have consent, I can use it in, I think in one, two different ways in a kind of uh, cookie-less and anonymous tracking environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, exactly, so. exactly. So it's like session level or only event level. Yeah. The session level is something that we, I think, pioneered on the market and it's interesting because it gives you this value that marketers have. For example, you can measure the user flow on the side of funnels, yes. but the visitor cannot be re-identified when they come back. And uh, I think that's very important and there is some temporary identifier that is dropped after the session is uh, expires. Um, and uh, it's it got positive reviews by privacy professionals, regulators, and it, it's successfully used by many of our clients. Yeah. How, how how does it happen for you? So, like when someone introduced, so do you, do you come in touch a lot with, uh, let's say, with um, data protection officers, uh, with, with legal persons, so that they basically reach out to you as well when someone wants to implement it, and so you help them, or is it more like that you that you have some documentation that you can provide and some guidance? Mm -hmm. So we we have documentation, but very often uh, with large organizations, especially yeah. uh, we have a, a, a long due diligence uh, with the privacy team and the customers to to explain them how it works, how it will behave in certain scenarios. Etc. Um, and then after they approve it, then we 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 go to the marketing or analytics team that actually implements it. We we have different onboarding packages depending whether we do it or if the customer does it. Sometimes our partners does the implementation, so it it varies based on the contract and and organization how mature they are in terms of analytics, how much internal stuff they have. So there isn't a, a, single, a single way we do it, uh, but we very often we have a lot of discussions uh, on the uh, initial stage, on the selection, render selection process. And we, uh, we also provide a lot of documentation about that. And the documentation was prepared uh, based on the questions that we have from clients very often so, uh, so that we don't have to... Uh, explain it again, but we can link some yeah. articles and uh, and other documents. Yeah, because I think like what I see is like I mean analytics is already complicated enough um, by its own, and then like to handling this different kind of ways how you can handle consent and so on. I think this is like creating a new complexity which um, a lot of companies are really struggling because like it. I would not take say it takes another person to basically uh, take over this this uh, this task, but it definitely takes some time to understand all the different ways, like you described. So uh, you can do some t uh, session based um, tracking, so you can do full cookie based tracking, and so what are the differences when to use what, and so. And I think another problem is like there is no hundred percent clear guidance on uh, like from official. Um, entities it gets better so uh, uh, like yeah we, we, we got these guidelines on how you can implement ga uh, yeah. in france and it turns out like when you configure it according to these guys the data is useless uh, because you have to drop pretty much yeah. everything uh, from it there is not much left <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true so we're coming a little bit back to lock analyzes without IP addresses in a way, mm -hmm. if you approach it like this. Yeah, that's right. But at least they put something out. So I think this was this was quite, um, at least quite a help because like yeah. for over one or two years, everyone was basically in the dark to not really knowing what they do. And so like um, the Danish ones were also like, they were referring to, to the French solution, but they also made a pretty nice FAQ where they were really like, they did the same thing like, like you to said. I think they picked the question that they usually get via email or in, in different other channels and just put them on the website because 
I mean, this is like the questions that people have, like how to yeah. do it, how to use it, and so on. Yeah, that, that, that's very good. And I, I have very high regards uh, for French regulator Pinot yeah. because I think they are the, the pioneers in Europe in context of this digital marketing space and all the guidelines they have. Uh, they reviewed like we when we were getting on this list mm -hmm. of exemptions. Like they were reviewing documentation, making suggestions. We implemented some of their suggestions uh, to, to get on the list. So, um, uh, so it of was course, not they just say like they, it's, it's not certification, but they yeah. actually put a lot of effort and uh, to discuss it with us and even make some recommendations that that we thought, yeah, that makes sense. We'll do it. Yeah. And we'll implement it. Yeah, but it's, it's it's really interesting because like, as you said, so it's not a certification, but it's like, so um, from the outside, it was looking like that that they just put some tools in there where they thought it could really make sense. So it would be nice if they have written, okay, we basically check these kind of tools to some degree, but this yeah. is difficult for them because then they already go into yeah. this area where they say, okay, we basically certified someone. But exactly. that's interesting. So they, they don't like actually exactly like we'll check uh, the request what yeah. they contain but they will check how you describe it yes. and the documentation how to configure yes. it and they will ask you a couple questions like yeah. and what happens if that what happens if that and they may also give you some recommendations that will agree to that but you need to do this that's interesting and i think this is also like the right way because this is like the only way to to make things better and i mean this is one of your benefits since you are not how to say so i mean one of my problems always i always had with ga i mean i grew up with ga ga was my first analytics tool um back in 2006 so um and it was great that i had this kind of opportunity but of course like one problem that besides all the privacy and all the other things is like that ga is you never really know what kind of product it is because like it's definitely not something that looks like it's um, a big revenue stream or it's targeted as a big uh, revenue stream. Of course, like people who are going on the on the 360 version, um, of course, they, they have to pay something. But um, when you see the, the amount of free users which is there, so you never really know the purpose of the product. And so, and this is what I always tell my clients is like, this is definitely something at least you should put it on your risk list so that uh, when you don't really know what the company's intention is with this kind of thing. And so, and the good thing about like like tools like you or, or others who just do an analytics analytics tool by itself, I mean, that's quite easy to see why you're doing this. And then, so first of all, of course, it's your company. So of course, like you 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 want to you want to um, pay all your employees. So you, you you it's a company. So of course, like you also want to do some profits. But besides that, then you have some kind of let's say guidelines where you know, okay, these are really bound to this kind of product. This is the product mission. This is product statement, which makes the whole thing a lot easier to understand. Where with Google, you never really know. So like, um, yeah. Yeah, and especially that the, the the main revenue stream is is advertising. That's I think the biggest concern. But like, there are yes. like two things that uh, I think uh, like are clear that GA is useful. So one is of course to uh, give simply tools for people to measure their websites because if they can see what's happening, they will spend eventually more yep. on advertising. And if the company has like 50% of market share, yeah. then there would, some of the money will go to Google. And then the second is the data. Like even if it's aggregated or even if it's not like um, just uh, the directly used from, from like single profile, um, they have the visibility into the whole internet and what's happening, what are the trends and so on. And uh, this data can be used across the Apple Google products. Uh, and, and I think that's the main concern of regulators yeah. as well as the, uh, the, the users that, that uh, go away from, from GA. Yeah. I have one or two things where maybe we go back a little bit later, but I would like to, let's say, make, um, I want to, to go a little bit Back, also like back in time, uh, just to understand a little bit more how, uh, you already described a little bit how Pivik became how it is um, today, but like, so can you remember when when you discovered Pivik for the first time, uh, mm -hmm. where it was like the the open source project and so on? So do you, can you still remember sure, and sure. still know, okay, why it was interesting? Why basically, I mean, 
you were really like a, one of the first contributors there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the interesting thing is I was running an advertising company back in the days. So yeah. It was 2007. And it was like first block advertising uh, network in Poland. Uh, yeah. And I was looking to build some statistic systems besides the ad serving system. And I didn't want to do it from scratch. And that was the time where the first PWIC open source version, now Matomo, yeah. um, uh, was released. And I started using it, contributing, fixing bugs, fixing some performance issues, uh, at least for that scale of traffic that we had. Uh, back in the days, and um, and then how I, I became the core team member um, and consultant. Uh, so yeah. I was doing a lot of consultant jobs uh, for companies that uh, had problems with with the the open source product, um, and then that transformed ultimately into Pewik Pro. So the business, because there wasn't like any business behind it, it was a couple guys contributing to the open source project. Uh, uh, that's, uh, like contributed to creating a company that will simply offer professional services for the open source product. Yeah. Um, but over the years, we, we saw all the deficiencies in the product, despite like adding some core developers, sponsoring them. Um, there were core architectural issues like using MySQL database or using PHP that, that couldn't be fixed. And we had a lot of complaints about performance, reliability, yeah. loss of data, and so on. And that was the time where we raised investments and started uh, investing into the proprietary platform. It took us, I think, two or three years until we got off uh, like we, we, we build it completely. Like we build modules that you can like import some data yeah. first and then uh, uh, do it like we, we always had to separate it because this is open source code base. This is like proprietary code base so that there is no link between these. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, ultimately after, after two, two years or, uh, two, three years, we had a full product, uh, already with, uh, I think tag manager, a constant manager back in the days, or at least with tag manager. Yeah. And um, and that's where we uh, saw more traction going, and this traction has improved dramatically as the product got better. Because uh, uh, when it got better, it got recommended to other customers. And I think the last like milestone, big milestone that we did was last year, where we decided that if we want to grow this company really big, we need to open up uh, the product for also free users, so consultants, uh, hobbyists, uh, some companies can just start on their own with, of course, traffic limitation because we are a company. We need to like earn money somewhere to pay for the infrastructure for the free users. Yeah. Um, but that was uh, that that's something that we launched in October last year, and that's contributed to the to the I think wider recognizability of the of the product on the market. And um, and it drives uh, paying customers for us as well. Um, so it was a, a very good decision that that we did with the the freemium model. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. I think this is. I think at that time it was really like that. I mean, people who worked in in analytics always knew Pivik um, and often like already used it. Um, but I think this this move to offer the free version basically brought you on the general map. Uh, for everything to think out, least Maybe to, to some degree, and I, I still don't know how I should judge it. I mean, like that one of the reasons that GA is free. Um, I mean, a lot of people say that the success of Google Analytics is because it's free, which I think it's not true. So Google did a lot of good things. Uh, like to, I mean, when when you were starting out in 2006 or 2007, working with other analytics tools was hell. Because they were super slow, uh, they were often really clunky, and so Google did a lot of things to, yeah, I mean, to to improve that. So of course, like the the famous sampling, which maybe then people not so happy about, but still, I mean, it, it brought some speed into the whole thing. And we we cannot compare to technology today, and so um, the, the the but still, like I mean, the, the free thing is always there around. And what what I often see is like um, that that people who were used to this kind of free thing from Google, they need to do some steps to understand that they make need to make some investment if they go into another um, area. And I think to, to offer something free maybe can make this transition a little bit easier, at least in the first place. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree, and that that was like uh, also our thinking uh, yeah. behind it. And um, um, we are we are not as generous as GA with the traffic because we we have to like yeah. sustain it. But I think for like um, especially B two B businesses or small businesses, this is more than enough. And we see, for example, a lot of agencies using it. They learn mm -hmm. the product, and uh, because of that. And uh, they start offering it to their customers, and some of them are becoming like the enterprise customers or the paying yeah. customers. So this model definitely works, and it's uh, it's uh, it works financially. So uh, so we are very happy, and so we are also very happy that we can give a, a great alternative tool for the analytics uh, yeah. industry to to use for for various projects, uh, because not not all of them. Uh, would be would have an option for for other product than Google uh, if it's not free. Yeah, that's true. And and one thing which when when you just described how you how you were building it was this two or three years period in between where you basically were like, I th I mean it's quite interesting. I, you have a house and you basically ripped off the whole foundation, and then put some parts of the house back on it and so build a full completely new foundation. So definitely not an easy thing to do. So, um, and the interesting thing- I would thing, say we, we, we didn't like tear down the other. We, we simply like built the one on the yeah. side and we started moving furnitures uh, ah. to this house. That was the, like, if we use this analogy, we yeah. weren't tearing down. We still had customers supporting yeah. support plans or like some uh, cloud version of the, the based on the open source. But then we started migrating them uh, <laughs> when that that the other house had enough functionality yeah. for them. Yeah. And everyone who did a migration immediately knows what this all means. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's like album. also in the, the software world, they tell you like, you never do rewrite, but I think in that case, it was no other way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's. I think it's, it's it's an interesting topic about the rewrites. So there are definitely rewrites that played out. I mean, yours definitely played out and there are others as well that, that played out as well, but it's always a risk because you always, I mean, yeah, yeah you make a huge bet on, on yeah. some kind of future. But one interesting thing that you did is like, um, you um, introduced ClickHouse as um, as uh, basically as your your database behind it, and at that time, I mean, today everyone would say, yeah, of course they use ClickHouse because now ClickHouse has gained a lot of attention, especially in this kind of area. I mean, for example, Postdoc is also using ClickHouse um, mm -hmm. as, as as their thing, and other like internal tools also use it, like on top of their data warehouse to serve, um, let's say, really critical um, BI applications they have built on top because like. One thing that ClickHouse does really well, it's super fast and super scalable. And so what you did it on a very early time. So where where did this uh, connection or like the, the idea for ClickHouse came from? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was our bet a bit because as you said, the technology was, was already good, yeah. but it was still early uh, for them. Uh, but we wanted to have something that is future proof. And yeah. uh, it could have failed, like if the project didn't get where it is today. Uh, but it turned out to be a very good decision. We did very comprehensive benchmark of like all the technologies that we could use for the analytics use case. And we also had to be able to uh, be infrastructure independent because mm -hmm. some analytics companies say, okay, we do everything True. on AWS and AWS will magically handle that. But we had to be compatible with an, even with like bare metal servers uh, of the, some customers. So we had to have something that is uh, uh, cloud technology agnostic. Yeah. And um, uh, the best thing that we could find uh, that was uh, that scaled, that scaled horizontally, that was good for analytics was ClickHouse, even though it was still early. And that was one of our risks. I remember yeah. that we take something that. Um, it's very good. It's already was used by some companies, but it's yes. not super popular. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was always a little bit visible, but I think so. It, as far as I can remember, it came originally out of Yandex, and so they, I think, they were developing it internally, and then at some point um, made it open source, and it was always there. And so I, I knew at the time when you were introducing about it, but I never really tested it out. But one thing that you just mentioned is is quite interesting because this also like sets you apart from others. Is like. Um, you have an infrastructure, as you said, which people can basically run in their own, uh, let's say, on-premise or like 
they can run it on solely European um, cloud hosting things, which mm -hmm. of course, like of course, all the other open source, like of course you can run Matomo there as well, but as we already covered, so Matomo is has like these kind of speed issues and so on. But so for example, this is something like when 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 I compare Pivik to, to Snowplow, which is in different definitely totally different target groups and so on. But like one thing that I think still Snowplow is struggling is like they are at the moment they are dependent on, on AWS and GCP. And so I think there might be a future where they will not be independent, but you are already there. So if, if someone says actually yes, I want to be hundred percent sure and so I take let's say a Hetzner or whatever server and um, and use their kind of cloud. So it's I guess it's it's already possible that I can use something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's already possible, but it's it's uh, it's uh, it's not that easy to just run. Like it's not like putting a, a software on one yeah, server no. and it works. Uh, we we you, you have to have uh, for us Kubernetes cluster uh, to yeah. run the 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 application, and uh, then uh, there are some other requirements for that. Um, What we see is that you go slowly away, even in this like banks, insurance companies, etc. You go away from the bare metal servers, okay. and you rather have uh, a client that will use it on their cloud in their mm -hmm. account. So not our account, but the client account. Yeah. And uh, and we can install there. Like for yeah. example, they have Azure subscription yeah. in like their like center, center data center, and they want to host it there. Um, and they then can use like their own encryption keys for the data with Key Vault, etc. So it definitely goes to another level when it comes to like uh, security and 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 privacy, etc. But it's not that um, it's uh, it's so easy and it's very costful because uh, yeah. I mean very. It's probably still like uh, affordable uh, yes. for these large organizations, given like how much they would pay for Adobe or something like that. But uh, it's not an option that would be for a medium uh, size organization. And um, and uh, there is no this efficiency of cloud where there are multiple yeah. customers uh, and logically separated, but physically they use same resources. And with, with this uh, hosting, you have to have resources for your peak traffic and you have to have them allocated. So um, it, it's definitely difficult, but we see, uh, like, of course, we see a lot of customers going to cloud, uh, but we see this private cloud option gaining traction as well yeah. uh, for some like very large organizations. Yeah, I mean... And you always have this on the on your on your website as well. So, for example, like um, measuring intranets, which I think yeah. is super important. I mean, um, it's it was always something that I wanted to have, um, and which is hard because, like, yeah, it's in, uh, internal data. So, of course, like you cannot just run any kind of thing and send all the They data. Have name out. of documents, people yeah. often. Um, yeah. You like all sorts of data that you don't want to push out of the organization, exactly. uh, even though it's just let's say behavioral analytics, uh, but it's a nice um, nice use case because like if you have an organization with 25,000 employees and you save some time with some UX issue or like helping them to find the most important things, yeah. you save like five minutes of every person, then this, this is a huge yeah. saving for the organization. Yeah, yeah 100%. And I think... Yeah, this would be another episode to go into. Yeah. Okay, where are areas where analytics is totally underserved and could do really interesting things? So, um, but one thing which I th think would be interesting is: um, Do you have an insight? What are the typical use cases where people use um, Pivik for at the moment? So, is it like GA was always very dominant? very dominant from marketing perspective. So people like analyzing campaign performance and so on. Um, so do you have some kind of cluster where you would say these are like the, the use cases we see a lot or is it more like different use cases on, a, on an equal mm -hmm. scale or so? Mm -hmm. So I, I think still this main Google Analytics use case uh, dominates. Um, they are not always like let's say marketers in, in the way we understand that they have some campaigns, media, because sometimes these are people like uh, handling even government websites or some yeah. healthcare providers' websites, and they still want to make this better, more efficient for, for their 
citizens, for their customers, for their like um, uh, healthcare professionals. Uh, but it's still like in the end, you do the same. You have some funnels, you have some traffic sources, you see where people like have some issues, etc. Uh, so that's that's the that's definitely a, a, a very big one. Uh, but what we see more uh, that may be a difference from Google is uh, we have uh, quite a lot of SDKs uh, mm -hmm. for mobile, like uh, like native mobile, uh, as well as this hybrid like Flutter, React Native, etc. We see growing adoption of that and uh, people personalizing mobile apps. Um, and uh, the third one is intranet. Uh, and not only intranet in a sense like SharePoint, but also sometimes some transactional systems used in the organization, trading systems in financial organizations. Yeah. So more, I would say, product analytics ah. use case, we go into a bit this space. Mm -hmm. Although I think we are still not like, you know, typical product analytics component. Uh, yeah. but, uh, we have some exposure to customers that, for example, want to have the full customer journey from like marketing to yeah. like what's happening behind the login. And, uh, this is an interesting use case for us as well, because although GA was okay to use on some landing pages, we are sometimes implemented both pre and post login. Yeah. And, uh, these product managers or marketers or whoever analyzes this data have a, a better view into like what's happening on the full customer journey. Yeah. I think this is also like the, the internal application thing, I think is something that is really interesting because I see a lot more traction in this kind of area that people, I mean, of course, like then there's a whole discussion about data products and so on, but, um, but they, it makes sense in the end. So like, I mean, data always had the problem that it ended up with dashboards. So this was like where everyone was agreeing, okay, this is like the, let's say the interface that data has to the normal world. Um, but the interface is not really efficient in the end. And so um, building like small applications, and I know people doing this, for example, with retool and so on and other things, but then of course, like you want to know how people use these applications. And then you're in the same situation that we have described with, with normal intranets. It's like, okay, do I want to send my internal data, like financial data and so on? Like, what should I put a generic tracking script on top of that? I think this is, yeah, definitely something. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I never thought about that. I think this is at least like one takeaway for me. Uh, to that, use that's some. also like where we came from, like originally, I think we, we, we had yeah. now a full circle because that was like, <laughs> what was the actual yeah, start true. and where we specialized and... And it's still our use case, but we see that this marketing general use case as the product got on par with GA, plus you have all the privacy regulation pressure. Um, we see the, the very big growth in that area. And, and you have another use case, which, which is also interesting. It was interesting when you came out with that, because usually like all the other analytics providers, I, would, I don't know, they, they always... Turn, like they were always circling around this. We're never really going into this, which is like customer data platform. So, I mean, GA did then this cooperation with Salesforce and so like on the 360 plan uh, to do a little bit of that, but never really into that. And so I think the Amplitude now starts to venture also like in this kind of area, but you de definitely did it much earlier. So what was, first of all, what was the motivation behind that? And then second of all, what is like, what is the... How does it look like? And then wh where do you want to go with that? Because I think it's an interesting uh, area. Yeah. So we, I think we started a bit prematurely with uh, CDP mm -hmm. because we introduced it uh, much earlier. And uh, the idea was to like give a tool to do something with the data besides analyzes. Yeah. So like so you, you, you call it in jargon data activation, but generally yes. what it means is like, you know, added to the marketing campaign, um, sent to marketing automation platform, to CRM, to, to Slack, etc. And, um, we are actually now working on a, a complete revamping of this product, mm -hmm. uh, to, to better suit it to, to the use cases that we have with the customers. So, um, with the way we see it now is that we need to combine two things uh, very well. So one, we need to be able to use any analytics da event data uh, because uh, before we had just profile data that had some 
analytics events, but you couldn't yeah. use like every analytics event. So that's one big change. And this is huge technological implications that yeah. we, we found a way to how to handle it. And then that the second thing is the connectivity to, to give more ability to connect with webhooks uh, incoming for import data, outcome outbound for uh, notifying other systems. Because then you can like with Power Automate or with some platforms, you can directly send webhooks and you can connect basically to thousands of tools rather than using API or some built-in integrations. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this is something big that we'll be focusing next year, especially. Uh, besides like the, like besides the migration, uh, from universal analytics, um, and some other stuff that we planned, this uh, data like CDP date, uh, which contains data import and data activation, uh, is, uh, is one of the, the, the big things that, that we plan that we already work on. But I think uh, next year you will see something really interesting coming out of, uh, that product. Yeah, this is, I think, as you said, so the, the interesting thing is like it, it enables people now to really do, how to say, to, to, to use like, I mean, to, to track the different kind of event data, then um, you basically do the heavy lifting of it and then they can basically use it to, um, then, for example, in HubSpot or whatever kind of tool they want to use uh, to run, um, let's say, more better targeted uh, email campaigns, for example. So then things... Yeah, exactly. And or, or send other in other channels like some push notifications and like uh remarketing yeah. uh at remarketing list, etc. So that there is like I think the only imagination of marketers limits like the potential use cases. We also see some use cases from support to like okay, send the NPS survey mm, if yeah. uh, the customer got to the certain point in the product. So there is endless amount of uh, stuff that you can do with that, but you need to have the right flexibility in setting it up uh, to, to make it really work. Unfortunately, with the last version, we, we didn't have that capacity and we, we uh, went back to the drawing board. Uh, we had very nice concept. We have some fir first early adopters feedback now. Yeah. And we plan to release it uh, probably end uh, of this year or early next year yeah. uh, where, to the wider customer group. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I don't know. So <laughs> I, I sometimes ask, okay, how, how could, should, should we look a little bit in the future? But I think this is like, uh, especially in this this kind of analytic space and with, with all the different kind of changes. So uh, it's a little bit hard to do, but, but how do you see... I mean, sorry, it's maybe it's it's an unfair question, but <laughs> let's try it. So, but but how do you see the whole thing evolving? So, I mean, it's most likely that after. I mean, it's it's quite interesting that all the European countries now coming out every other, after two months. So it might take some other months to everyone else coming out with basically the same assumption or like the same analysis as the other countries already did, and so. With these, like, okay, Universal will stop, and 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 GDPR is is or like not GDPR, but the the let's say the analysis of the uh, of the DPAs hanging around. So, where where is analytics moving in the next two to three years? Even when it's an unfair question, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one. But I I mean, first of all, I think uh, Google will uh, postpone by at least a couple of so? months. Yeah. I mean, they did it with cookies. True. Um, and it's like simply too many websites worldwide. Uh, I mean, yeah. they may not do it, but um, um, no, but it on the other end, like I think there will be a big backlash um, against it because not everyone will be ready. Yeah. For that, but it will eventually happen. I mean. If not July, then maybe December, it will happen. So will everyone happen. will have yeah. to go through this migration either to uh, alternatives like the week four or to GA4 or to something else, but they will have to go through that process. Um, so that's that's the one thing. I, and I think this will have a huge impact on the analytics industry because yeah. uh, a lot of people will have to um, maybe change a bit of thinking on analytics uh, and how do they do it and what's really required. It will also 
like the industry is much more mature now, so they will probably have better implementation of analytics because that's uh, they are forced to change it. Um, so we'll get rid of a lot of legacy, maybe in some organizations. On the like technological side, I mean, oh, on the privacy side, I think maybe the even if the issue between US and EU is solved, I think uh, what we see now is there's a US uh, privacy law on the federal level coming out, which which may be much stricter than than what they have in any state right now. Yeah. So that would be very interesting to watch and how it impacts analytics. And then on the technological side, I think that's, for me, it's the hardest to judge, even though I, I, I am a technical person, I, I have technical background, but um, like CDP or like data activation is like, a I think something that is already happening and that's, uh, that's just simply going to continue. Um, but I'm not sure like what, what else would be on the technological level. Uh, I would do say we so need for... really, do we need really more innovation on analytics? Like we have so much data, we, we should probably start using it better first. Yeah. No, fair point. I think when it comes to data collection, probably not. So because like I mean yeah. this in the end is I would say is covering most of the things. One thing where where I still struggle a little bit is like this. At least like in the project that I'm doing. So you sometimes have this, let's say, natural point where these all-inclusive platform like you do might be not enough. So you have use cases that you want to do which go beyond. And so then you have this, this question where you say, okay, I collect all this data already there. So I put it in, let's say, a database. Not We don't call it data warehouse yet because this needs some structure, but let's put it in a, in a database and then start to build, let's say, more complex um, queries, try to incorporate your business yeah. cases and so on. So, but this, to define this place, so often like my clients ask me, okay, when does it happen? So when should we plan for it? And it's super hard to answer because like, it's also like, it depends a lot on like, how much do you push the existing system um, to their limits? And of course, every system has their limits. And so this, yeah. this is a difficult qu question to answer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that uh, you touch on an interesting topic of this like interconnectivity between the systems yep. because like if you went into Google ecosystem, you were pretty much like yes, you had to use everything from from Google. And what I see is that you will have better tools specialized for certain use cases that mm -hmm. will talk to each other, and uh, you can import the data or push the data like with activation or with like road pushing the moving the raw data from one to another. And that's something we see already happening with some of the customers. And we also like did some connectors for BI tools, et cetera, but I, uh, or exports to the data warehouses. Uh, but I think in the end, like organizations want to use best tools for certain things and yes. not necessarily everything from one vendor. Um, we are past this like, like marketing suites where like you get everything from Google, everything yeah, from Adobe around. and so on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I mean, this is also like the same. I mean, of course, like it also has benefits. And so this is, for example, why I, I like like your approach that I mean, you also bundle some things in the beginning. And one of the big benefits that I think people sometimes underestimate is like integration is hard, wherever what you want to do. So um, and uh, if things are together, they usually don't need to be integrated. But yeah, yeah. it's but I think you, you, you did a really good job to at least look a little bit to the future because like <laughs> for me if, if you would ask me the question i would be like yeah i don't really know so because uh it's yeah there are so many moving targets where you can really see where it ends up so of course i always hope for the better and i and, and you said like the tools are there and i think there's the, still the big shift that has to happen is like how people use with them how they incorporate it in their daily lives and so on so it's yeah yeah exactly exactly i i think that's a, a very fair point <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much. That was uh, that was really interesting. So also like to to learn like how you for me it's like always like the interesting part of these kind of podcasts is really like to learn how people start out with with which kind of ideas and in which kind of direction they they are growing because then 
at least for me, it makes it a lot easier to understand how how the products in the end work because you usually see the roots in there. And I think I see them as well, like in Pivik with everything that you uh, that you described today. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it was great discussion. Like, um, I, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, thank you. And to everyone else who listened to that, um, have a good day and see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you found some stuff that was interesting, maybe even new, maybe trigger some further thoughts um, in your head so that maybe gives you a new perspective on a specific topic. At least this is what I'm always loving about podcasts. So it triggers my brain to do crazy new things and um, I hope you found something interesting. Um, in this episode as well. So one important thing, if you have any kind of questions about the tools we are discussing in this podcast, any kind of questions about tracking setups in general, how you should approach a specific kind of problems, or even if you say, I don't have really an idea what kind of tracking setups make sense for my business, for the current situation that it's in. Um, just reach out to me. And so this is pretty easy. So on the one hand, you can all go over to LinkedIn and you can type in my name. You can find me and you can just write me a message. That's one way. And the other way is like you can also go on our website, deepskydata.com. And there is um, a, a button um, that you can set up a call. So you can click it. You can schedule 30 minutes with me. And these 30 minutes are always free. So um, no obligations. It's just like, it's, it's, it's not a sales call. So it's really like, you can put in your question. You can put in your problems where you're basically stuck. So I can pr present you maybe one or two ideas how I would approach these kind of topics. And that's it. So I'm, I mostly want, really want to help here. Uh, to, to basically unblock you and give you some new ideas. So uh, if that's something for you, don't hesitate, just reach out. Um, this will be super fun to do. Um, and I see you in the next episode.